Hi, this is Scotty Schwartz from A Christmas Story, and I am the next guest on On Screen and Beyond. On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now, here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zemrak. Welcome to episode 193 of On Screen and Beyond. I'm your host, Brian Zemrak, and this is the weekly show that keeps you updated on what's coming your way as far as... Upcoming movies, remakes, sequels, TV and movie DVD releases, and so much more, as well as our interview segment with someone from the movie, TV, or music industry. This week, it, of course, is the week of Christmas, so who better to have than somebody from a Christmas movie? In particular, A Christmas Story. That's right. And we have Flick. We have Scott Schwartz coming your way. Scott, of course, was in A Christmas Story. And he's the guy who puts his tongue onto the flagpole and gets stuck. If you remember that scene, how could you not know that scene? One of the classic uh, scenes from that movie. And also, uh, he was in The Toy with Jackie Gleason and Richard Pryor, and uh, we're going to talk about all those things with Scott, and that's going to be coming up in a few minutes, so I hope you're going to stick around for that. If you would like to communicate it with us here at On Screen and Beyond, or just uh, send me an email, send it to us at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com, and we'll be sure to read it. Love hearing from everybody, and uh, all the, the Christmas wishes and everything else. I appreciate that, and same goes out to you. And uh, let's see, if uh, you are on Facebook, go ahead and like us. We have a link to our Facebook uh, site at, uh, go to onscreenandbeyond.com, scroll down at the bottom, right there at the bottom, you can click on it and get right to us and uh, check that out. And if you are doing last-minute shopping or anything, or just shopping at any time, be sure to check out our uh, advertisers here at On Screen and Beyond at uh, onscreenandbeyond.com and uh, help support the show and, uh, you know, you get to what you want, okay? So, anyways, that is about it. What do you say we get into, uh, well, it's that time of year that we're going to take a peek at what's coming away as far as January. Boy, it's already January. <laughs> we're going to be looking at uh, what's coming away as far as um, movies and uh, remakes and sequels and uh, also, what's coming away as far as TV and movies on DVD coming in January. So, it's that time of uh, the month again. So, anyways, it is time. Let's go. We will take a look at Remake Madness coming your way in January. Please hang up and try again. Remake Madness. Well, this doesn't happen very often. But, of course, January, they are not making many remakes to be released during this month because if they're making a remake, most likely they want it to be like a blockbuster. So it's going to come out in, you know, May, June, July, somewhere around there. So there are no remakes coming your way in theaters in January. So you get a little break. (laughs) So we will leave Remake Madness and get right into Movies that are going to be coming your way as far as uh, you know, new movies. It's next, right here on On Screen and Beyond. Upcoming movies coming your way in January. Look for January 20th to bring you Red Tails as it tells the story of African-American pilots during World War II in the Tuskegee Training Program. And it stars Cooper Gooding Jr. and Terrence Howard. And on January 13th, Contraband comes your way with Mark Wahlberg and Kate Beckinsale, and it's about a reformed contraband runner 
back in action. On January 27th, it'll also bring us Man on a Ledge with Elizabeth Banks and Sam Worthington about a cop on a ledge and the police department negotiator trying to talk him down. Then look for Queen Latifah and Dolly Parton to star in Joyful Noise. It's about two women who knock heads as their choir competes in a national competition. And that arrives in theaters on January 13th. January 20th, look for Haywire as it makes its way into theaters as a high-powered adrenaline rush action movie with uh, Channing Tatum, Ian McGregor, Antonio Bandaras, and Michael Douglas. And one for the money with Catherine Heigl and John Leguizamo. And it's uh, it's about Heigl as a uh, out-of-work lingerie buyer working as a bounty hunter. So that should be interesting. And that arrives on January 27th. That is it for movies coming your way in January. Next, what's going to come your way in January as far as sequels? And yes, we do have one. It's next, right here on On Screen and Beyond. Sequel City, well, uh, let's see, in January coming your way, there is one that's going to make it uh, towards you. And like I said, it's it's usually in the later part of the year, or the middle of the year, that these come out. But uh, this one has been put into this slot. On January 20th, you can look for Kate Beckinsale as she returns in Underworld Awakening. And that's, like I said, on January 20th. That is it for Sequel City uh, coming your way in January. Next on On Screen and Beyond, what is going to be coming your way as far as TV on DVD? We got it next right here on On Screen and Beyond. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Coming your way in January as far as TV on DVD releases, well, on January 3rd, you can look for Season 5 of Alfred Hitchcock Presents, as well as Justified Season 2. January 10th, look for Boardwalk Empire Season 1, Dennis the Menace Season 4, Hawaii Five-0 Season 12, Pacific Blue Season 1 Complete Series, and 30-something... Season 1, Volume 2. January 17th, look for Adam 12, Season 6, Sliders, Season 5, and Webster, Season 4. And on January 24th, Ancient Aliens, Season 3, and Mannix, Season 6. On January 31st, look for Diagnosis Murder, uh, TV movie collection. And also look for Star Trek, The Next Generation, The Next Level Blu-ray. That is it for TV on DVD coming away in January. Next, we take a peek at what's coming away as far as movies on DVD in January, right here on On Screen and Beyond. What is coming away as far as movies on DVD in January? Well, here you go. On January 3rd, look for Paranormal Activity 3, Contagion, Don't Be Afraid of the Dark, I Don't Know How She Does It, and Shark Night. January 10th, look for Killer Elite with Robert De Niro, Moneyball with Brad Pitt, and What's Your Number with Anna Ferris. On January 17th, Abduction with Taylor Lautner, and Courageous with Alex Roderick, and The Ides of March with Ryan Gosling. 
And on January 24th, 50-50 with Seth Rogen, Real Steel with Hugh Jackman, Dreamhouse with Daniel Craig, and Drive with Ryan Gosling. And on January 31st, In Time with Justin Timberlake, and also look for The Thing to come your way on January 31st as far as movies on DVD. That is it for movies on DVD coming your way in January. Next on On Screen and Beyond, we are going to sit down with Scott Schwartz, who played Flick in the movie A Christmas Story, a classic uh, film that uh, is shown over and over at the Christmas season. And also he was the star of The Toy with Richard Pryor and Jackie Gleason, two classics He starred in a film with them, and we will talk about those actors, his films, and so much more. It's coming up next, right here on On Screen and Beyond. Joining me today on On Screen and Beyond is an actor from one of the most popular films shown at Christmas time, A Christmas Story. He has also starred in The Toy alongside Jackie Gleason and Richard Pryor. It's Scott Swartz. Scott, welcome to On Screen and Beyond. Thank you for having me. Welcome, everybody. Scott, this film is shown time after time after time at this time of year. And do you ever sit down and watch the, the film? I watch little bits and pieces of it. I mean, I can't watch the whole thing. I, you know, after six or seven hundred times of watching it, I just can't do it anymore. <laughs> but I'm, I'm certain to sit there at, you know, the certain spots in the film that I enjoy, you know, the stuff with Darren McGavin, you know, the old man, and, uh, you know, the Chinese restaurant is my favorite scene, and, mm-hmm. you know, the uh, the, the play, you know, the, the scene with uh, when he first puts the leg lamp in the window, yes. and the guy across the street sees it. Mm-hmm. That's Bob Clark, the director of the film. Oh, okay, yeah. So it's like I always like just seeing Bob as he was, and uh, you know, I, I mean, I can still enjoy some of it. You know, I just can't watch it all anymore. Yeah. Now you say the restaurant scene is is your favorite. I would have thought you would have said what is probably the most memorable scene in the film. Or, or that, well, I shouldn't say that because that's a tough one because there's a lot of memorable scenes. But when you have your tongue stuck to the pole, <laughs> that's that's one everybody remembers. <laughs> and you know, it's 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 sort of like anything else. We're all a fan of somebody else rather than a fan of ourselves. <laughs> So I would I would much prefer to watch uh, Fa Ra 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 than watch me sitting out standing out there with the tongue on the pole rehashing the memory of the twenty five degrees below zero weather we had. No, now where was the movie filmed itself? It was actually it was shot in three cities: Cleveland, where it was the outside of the of Ralphie Parker's house, and like the Christmas tree thing that they did. That was shot in Cleveland, and then the scene with the tongue on the flagpole and the school was St. Catharines, Ontario, which is basically between Toronto and Buffalo. And then the, all the interior stuff was shot in a soundstage in Toronto. Huh. Let's start at the beginning here. Before all of this came about, the, the, the toy and uh, Christmas story, what prompted you or your parents to put you into, uh, you know, try to be an actor? Well, it really didn't happen that way. Uh... My dad and I used to go on Saturdays to a film co-op society in Manhattan, in New York. Mm-hmm. And one of the other guys who was there, after knowing me for some time, said, Hey, I'm producing a commercial. Would you like to do something like that? And, how and we, talked, we talked about it. I was uh, eight. Eight, okay. 
And we're like, yeah, sure, that sounds fun. Go down to Miami Beach, Florida, shoot a Yoo-Hoo chocolate drink commercial. Sure, let's go. I was always very outgoing and movie-orientated because that's what my dad loves. So that's what I love. Movies and sports, I'm in. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's how it started and did the commercial, then did more commercials, got, you know, got an agent and did all that and did off-Broadway, did Broadway, did TV movies of the week and after-school specials, and it just kind of led from one or the other to eventually getting cast in a movie. Yeah. So, so uh, when you were on Broadway, what, what, what did you do on Broadway? I did the ill-fated show Frankenstein. I did Frankenstein on Broadway for 30 days, 29 preview performances, and opening night at the Palace Theater. Mm-hmm. And that, when, what was your character in that? Uh, I played Dr. Frankenstein's younger brother. I actually got killed on stage every night by the monster. How old were you then? Uh, I was 12. 12 years old, okay, and you're playing Dr. Frankenstein's younger brother. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, um, now, um, was A Christmas Story actually filmed before the toy, or? Mm-hmm. No, I did, I did the toy, then I finished up that, and within two months, I was doing another film called Kid Co., and I finished Kid Co. toward the end of, of uh, 82, and then in uh, January, like January of 83, we started shooting A Christmas Story. Okay, because I know sometimes the just because a film comes out, it could have been done years before. So I wasn't sure how you know how that worked out. So how did, right. how did you get the part uh, of Flick in that film? Uh, Bob Clark had seen the toy; it had come out in the theaters already, only a few weeks before actually I interviewed with him. And I was sort of a last throw-in. They were pretty much done casting, and he just wanted to meet me. Mm-hmm. And so we went, we sat, we talked, and we went out to lunch. We left. My dad and I walked back to my agent's office, and before I hit the door, he had already called and said, Scotty's in the movie. Wow. <laughs> so there was no reading of dialogue. There was, he knew I could do anything because he had just seen me on film with, you know, Gleason and Pryor. So it was, mm-hmm. and for what he wanted me to do, it was so easy. Yeah. It was, it was a breeze. Now, it's funny that you would say that that's the way Bob Clark cast, because I also had uh, some of the guys from Porky's on the show one time, and they said it was pretty much the same thing, that it, it wasn't really like a script reading. It was more of a personality thing where he'd just talk, and then all of a sudden, bang, yeah, you're in the movie. He was a, he was a natural director, meaning he didn't want anybody that had gone to acting classes for 25 years mm-hmm. and, and was sort of formed and molded and shaped into an actor. He liked very natural people. Yeah. Now, was it a big difference working with Bob Clark as director of A Christmas Story and, uh, let's say, Richard Donner for The Toy? Uh, let's see, a big difference. You know, they, they were very common. They were very similar in the way that neither one of them over-directed their actors. Mm-hmm. They sort of let us kind of mold our own thing and shape it and see where it landed. And if they didn't like it, then they would tell us to do something else. Yeah. But in in both instances, you know, I got, you know, I I, I can't say that, I mean, certainly Bob, for what I did, did not over-direct me at all. Mm -hmm. Um, He basically said, all right, do whatever you want. And I did something, that's not enough. Make it broader, make it bigger. That's too much, bring it down. And that was pretty much his direction. Um, Richard Donner, you know, it, it was sort of, you know, he had Gleason and he had Pryor, and then he had the newbie. Yep. He, had the, he had the green behind the years kid doing his first movie with these icons. But I think the fact that I was a movie junkie 
and I loved the cinema so much, it helped me. I wasn't so intimidated. Yeah. yeah. You know, Richard Pryor, the first time I met him, took my guard down completely. You know, the most friendly, wonderful human being that I've ever met in my entire life. Really? You know, uh, Mr. Pryor, it's a pleasure to meet you. No, 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 no. There's none of that. It's just Richard. Richard, Rich, call me whatever you want, I'll answer. That's how he was. Wow. Yeah. And we became very friendly, very fast. Uh, he was into old westerns. I don't know if you're going to know this guy, but there was a guy named Lash LaRue. Oh, yes, yeah. The master of the bullwhip. Mm-hmm, yeah. And it was Richard's favorite. You know, so we actually, like, you know, we, we sent him VHS tapes of Lash LaRue movies, and he loved it. Hmm. So he and I became very friendly, very fast, because I could talk his lingo. Yeah, yeah. Wow. You know, and Gleason, we talked. I, I used to, I mean, I do impressions of him. So he knew I was there not to upstage him, steal scenes. I was there to learn from him. Oh, yeah, and what better but guy he made it. He, he made my experience a pleasure. Yeah. Wow. And that shows on screen, the relationship you would think that we're really father and son, and this is what's happening, and it worked out well. Yeah. We'll get back to uh, the, the toy in a minute, but I, I just wanted to continue with the Christmas story. Um, as far as... That scene that I spoke about where, you, you know, you were standing there and you said 25 <laughs> degrees out or 25 below, whatever. <laughs> and yep. On that scene. Now, was that all scripted? And did... None of it was scripted. It says, flick six tongue to pole, and that was it. That was it. <laughs> and everything else was just me ad-libbing and coming up with shtick and stuff to do. And to say that the experience I had on the toy was a major influence because it helped me. Really? I knew what ad-libbing, I knew how to just play and, and, and do things to make the scene interesting as opposed to whatever, mm-hmm. and then, then, okay, let's go to the next thing. You know, they said to me, yeah, just go crazy, go wild, think of something to do, okay. You know, and the whole thing with, uh, you know, when I, uh, I'm stuck there and, you know, they start leaving, come back, don't leave me, come back. I mean, that was, that was just off the cuff. I just did it, and Bob was like, God, that was great, that's hysterical. Yeah. So, that was it. Yeah, well, it gave a, a sense of realism to it. Did they really have you get stuck to the pole? No, it was it was a there was a re, actually there was a real flagpole in the ground. But what they did is they built a piece of plastic to put over it. Okay, and there was a hole in it and a suction tube with like a vacuum cleaner thing at the bottom. Mm-hmm. And uh, they just turned it on. So just think vacuum cleaner in your hand, it gets stuck. The yeah. suction is there, yeah. and that's what happened. But it was you know certainly not a vacuum tube. It was, you know, the size of your little pinky nail. That's how big it was. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I, I didn't know if, you know, if depending on the budget, you know, if they just say, well, we'll really stick you to the pole and then we'll pour water on it to get you over. <laughs> you know, there's this thing called child labor laws and they just can't do that. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, just leave you there till springtime. <laughs> one thought. Yeah, let them fall out. Go ahead. <laughs> So, uh, th- 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 is that the scene that most people remember you by, though? I mean, really, you know... Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's, there's the, uh, those iconic things that just happen. It's not planned that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and I mean, basically, it's BB gun, leg lamp, the kid that got his tongue stuck to the pole. Right, yeah. I mean, that, that's, you know, when I think of that film, those are the three things that you automatically think of. Yeah, you know, it's... Uh, it's not from ego or anything like that. You know, I'm the most pleasant, easygoing guy in the world, and it's a uh, kid from Jersey, and I got lucky. And, you know, Bob did me the biggest favor of my life. Yeah. 
and uh, stuck me up there. Now, were you and Peter Billingsley friends on, on set, or did you run around, get in trouble? <laughs> uh, we didn't really get in trouble all that much. I mean, we would be in the hotel throwing water balloons out the windows. We did stuff <laughs> like that, you know. But uh, basically, you know, with all of the kids, there was reasons why the other kids and, and me and Peter didn't really hang out. The two bullies, they wanted to keep separate. They didn't want us to be friends with them. They wanted uh, to really be terrorized. Yeah. So they kept them away. The little brother... Randy in the movie, Ian Petrella, was too young. He was like seven years old. Mm-hmm. So he certainly wasn't going to hang out with us. Yeah. And, and the other kid, Schwartz, you know, he just kind of went to, the, went to the, the, the set, and then his mom took him back to the hotel, and he studied, and he was, uh, I mean, he, he was on Broadway and Les Mis and the singing and the dancing, that, I mean, all those kind of things that he did. Mm-hmm. But that kind of left me and Peter on our own. Yeah. You know? And we played practical jokes, and we had fun, and... You know, we'd bang on people's doors at 10 o'clock at night yelling housekeeping. <laughs> you know, one of the funniest things that we did, which was just great, we all knew Bob. Bob was a connoisseur of food. Mm-hmm. So what we would do is, is we would know when we'd come back from the set, our, our rooms were four or five away from each other. And Peter would come to my room and we would wait. And we'd hear the elevator and we'd wait. And Bob would come out and we'd see him go toward his room. As soon as he did that, we'd call room service. And we'd get a steak and a lobster tail and this and whatever. And then half an hour later, they would come up and bring his food. They'd knock on his door and he'd be like, yes. Oh, we have your food. I didn't order anything. Oh, wait a minute. It's a steak? All right, I'll eat it. Come on in. <laughs> you know, and eventually, like after we did it the fourth time, Bob's like, listen, I know you guys are sending me food. You know, I don't really need a steak every every other day. It's okay, you know. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> so how was it working with the, the adult casts in The Christmas Story? <laughs> you know, uh... I, I had the, the one brief moment with Melinda Dillon with the mom uh, in the fight scene when Ralphie knocks, uh, when Ralphie bangs on to Scott Farkas, the bully. She was there on the set when we were there, you know, because it's your Ralphie, Ralphie, your mother, your mother. And then we run away. Uh, but I, and we had no scenes. I had no scenes with Darren McGavin, you know. So the only time I saw Darren was the reading in the very beginning of the film, you know, that we were just, you know, before we started shooting, we just went through a read-through. Uh, and then at the Higby store, you know, Ralphie coming down the slide, the hotel that we were staying at was attached to Higby's. Uh-huh. So we just went and hung out on the set. But that's really the only two times that I got to see and talk to Darren at all. Yeah, yeah. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Now, you were still young. But did you know that he was famous for his TV roles? Kolchak, the Night Stalker. Yes, Night Stalker, yes. <laughs> of course, Carl Kolchak. I knew it, you know, going in. Remember, I was a movie buff. I was a TV, you know, fanatic. Right, yeah. So I, I knew who everybody was. I mean, if, you know, you come on a set and I know who Gleason and Pryor are, I'm certainly going to know, you know, who, uh, who Darren McGavin was. Right. You know, Melinda Dillon. Jesus, you're in Close Encounters. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, geez. So it's, it's one one advantage that I had. I was the oldest by far. I'm like almost two years older than Peter, and uh, 
it gave me that advantage because two years at that time in life, you learn so much and you know so much more growing up with what I did with my dad and the movies and screenings. And we used to have a movie theater in our basement mm-hmm. in a house in New Jersey. Yeah. So I knew so much about the cinema and about, not I want to say celebrities, but stars. You know, it, it gave me a humongous advantage over most kids that age. Yeah. Back to the toy. Of course, like you say, you knew who Gleason and Richard Pryor were. But were you still a little awestruck being in their presence? Um, like I said, Richard really took down the walls in less than three minutes. Right, yeah. yeah. I mean, just, just the way he approached it and talked to me, he wasn't talking to a 13-year-old. He was talking to somebody he was working with. Yeah. Even though I was a kid, you know, the, the amount of openness that he had. You know, my phone is on, I'm in my room, you need me, you call me. You know, he had a 24-7 open door to me. Mr. Gleason was a little more standoffish, but as we sort of went on the shooting, uh, really did things for me that I never realized, you know, that were possible. He taught me how to shoot pool. Really? <laughs> you know, we, we there was a time during the filming, and Richard uh, had fallen ill. He had exhaustion. And it was the first big movie he did after he had his burning accident. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He ended up in the hospital, and they were shooting the party scene with the motorcycle and all the people and the things and whatever. There was a lot of downtime for me and Gleason. And he said to me one day, hey, Scotty, you, uh, you ever shoot pool? I said, no. Come on, let me show you. I, I could barely see over the table. So I got an apple box. He grabbed me an apple box. And the next thing I know, for the better part of 10 days, we spent in and out of the pool room at that house, and he was showing me how to shoot pool. Now, he was, he was really, I mean, he had been in the movie, but uh, he really knew how to play pool, right? Gleason was a pool hustler. Right. He, beat, I, all, he beat all of them. He beat Minnesota Fats. Wow. He beat Moscone, Willie Moscone. Yeah. He beat Steve Miserak. Any of the guys from the mid-50s through the mid-70s, he beat all of them. He was a premier pool shooter, and I believe that he's actually in the Billions Hall of Fame. Wow! See, I didn't know. That. I knew. I knew he. Had, of course, he had been in the movie, The Hustler. The, the Hustler, yeah. And that's all his shooting. You know, and then when he does, I know it's kind of minute, but he did the Sting too much later, and it's not a great movie. But there's a scene with him and Carl Malden in Carl Malden's house, and they're shooting pool and they're doing bank shots, and there's not a cut in the film. Five bank shots all the way down and back to the table and back in the pocket. One, two, three, four, five. Gleason doesn't miss. Jeez. So he he was uh, <laughs> he knew what he was doing. <laughs> he knew what he was doing, and he taught me angles and how to shoot and how to you know put some curve on the ball and all those kind of things. I mean, he wow. He was an amazing guy. Was I in awe? Yes. Every day I was in awe that I was there. But at the same time, you have a job to do. Right. Oh yeah. So you sort of have to put that in the back of your head, you know, and you go to sleep at night and you're like, oh, my God, what am I doing here? This is unbelievable. You know, I was watching Gleason every night at the hotel where he stayed, 11 o'clock, honeymooners. The honeymoon. And there it is, and I'm watching this guy next morning. I'm going to work with him. <laughs> Jeez. So, so he wasn't, you know, I'm Jackie Gleason. You know, I mean, it was, it was famous. He, he was a, a, a huge idol. I mean, you know. He, he, he was, was an icon, an icon you know, and, and sure. on the set, Everybody called him Mr. Gleason. There was no Jackie, can you come over here, other than the director or the producer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nobody else called him Jackie. And uh, about a month into shooting, he called me into his trailer. And we were talking about a scene or whatever. And I said, well, Mr. Gleason, this nice says, listen, you know, out there, meaning outside, 
you have to call me Mr. Gleason. But when we're sitting here, you can call me Jackie. It's okay. Wow. <laughs> so he, he became comfortable enough with you that... Maybe... Listen, I did, you know, I, I, I still do it once in a while, you know. I mean, the impressions that I did of him, he thought it was hilarious that a 13-year-old who was four foot five and weighed 50 pounds could do Sheriff Buford T. Justice. <laughs> right. <laughs> he absolutely thought it was a riot that I did it, the inflections, the little noises that he made, all those things, and I would do it verbatim. And he looked at me, he's like, how do you learn this stuff? Hmm. You know? Yeah. And and I was, I say fortunate. Growing up in New Jersey, I lived three miles away from my middle school and high school. And I had a bike to school. Yeah. So I had a Walkman, the good old soul Sony Walkman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I didn't have music on my tapes. I had Blazing Saddles, History of the World Part 1, Smokey and the Bandit, Airplane. That's what I was listening to. I was listening to movies going to school every day. Yeah. So it sort of gave me, again, a little heads up on, you know, on all of them, especially when I got the film. Then it was just, you know, now it's time to go into, I got to watch Gleason for the next four weeks before I get there. So I'm prepared. Now, you also got a chance to work with Johnny Depp, right, on 21 Jump Street? Yep. Yep. So what, what was that like? I mean, of course, he wasn't, uh, you know, the, the superstar he is now, but uh, what was it you like? You know what? He was a friendly, mellow guy. He's still a friendly, mellow guy. Um, you know, I had, my, I had my birthday while we were shooting. I was 18 turning 19. And in Canada, you can drink at 19. Okay. So him, Peter DeLuise, and Dustin Nijin, the three stars of, uh, three of the male stars of Jump Street, mm-hmm. they all took me out for my birthday and got me sloshed. <laughs> they got me sloshed, and they thought it was so funny. And I'm like, guys, it's 2 o'clock in the morning. We have a 6.30 pickup at the hotel. Oh, jeez. i got to get back to the hotel. Oh, no, we got it till it closes. You know, and they closed like 2.30 in the morning. And, you know, <laughs> he was he was a, a, a mellow, sweet guy. And I talked to him a couple times throughout the years. You know, you know, you run into him or I have his sister's email and we email back and forth once in a while, you know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean or not, you know, mega international star, when you when you click with somebody and you're friendly with them, even when you hit the big time, you're still going to be friendly with that person because you know they're not the Johnny come lately. Oh, I just want to be hanging out with you because you're so and so. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. You know he's a seventy. He loves football. He's a seventy two Dolphins fanatic. Oh, really? Yeah. You know, so you know he and I talk football. That's pretty much what we end up talking when we get together. We talk football. Jeez. <laughs> and just. You know, he's a sweet guy. Has has the fame changed him? Sure, a little bit. He has to be a little more guarded. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. You know, but if I if I start talking to him, he's like, Scotty, what's going on? How you doing? You know, it, that's just how it is. Yeah. Hmm. Now, what about uh, on uh, a Christmas story? Uh, do you ever see Peter at all? I see Pete once in a while. You know, since uh, since he got fortunate enough to hit Iron Man money. That's what we call. It. We don't actually. I never, I never say the title Iron Man. I just call it Iron Man Money. <laughs> uh, you know, he's been much busier. He he took over Vince Vaughn's production company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, you know, he's he's a, a extremely busy guy. Yeah. But sure. you know, like everything else in life, uh, sometimes things happen for a reason. Uh, Peter was friends with John Favreau way back, and John Favreau had just finished a movie called Rudy. Yep. And came back to L.A. and says to Pete, listen, I got this guy. He's on the set. He's a pretty good dude. He needs a place to stay. He wants to come to L.A. and give this thing a whirl. 
And Pete had like a three bedroom and said, yeah, sure, let him sleep on my couch, whatever, you know. You know, little do we know that that's Vince Vaughn. So Vince Vaughn slept on Peter's couch when Vince had nothing. Now that, now that Vince has hit it, Pete's his boy. Yeah. Come for the ride. Wow. Jeez. Yeah. I pretty much talked to all the guys. Yeah. You know, we, we all get along. You know, we all chit-chat and do our thing. And uh, we don't get together often enough. I mean, I, I see Zach quite often, but the other guys, because they're traveling or they live someplace else. Yano Anaya, who played Grover Dill, he lives down in Atlanta. And Ian, uh, who played Randy's little brother, I think he's in the Cleveland area right now, doing stuff at the Christmas Story House. I'm just not sure. Uh, R.D., who played Schwartz, uh, he lives here in L.A. Uh, he's extremely busy. He's got a little one uh, with his wife, so that kind of eats up a lot of his time. But we all try and stay busy. Yeah, yeah. Now, you're, you, you mentioned that you're a big uh, sports and, and, and uh, movie and, and memorabilia-type uh, person like that. Now, you've done also a lot of work with uh, uh, trading cards and things. Is that correct? Uh-huh. I have. Uh, I started a line in 2007 called Americana mm-hmm. with a company called Donruss. So it was Donruss Americana. Since then, they've been bought out by an Italian company called Panini. So now it's Panini Americana. Yeah. And it's celebrity trading cards. So instead of opening up a pack of cards and getting, you know, baseball Albert Pujols or a Chiro or, you know, whatever, uh, you get Goldie Hawn, you get Kurt Russell, you get Larry Hagman, William Shatner, you know, and mm-hmm. on. I've done 250 signings for them, you know, with the project over the last four years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so non-sports cards uh, are a big thing that you deal with, right? Love non-sports. It's movie-based. Movie-based, yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, I have, you know, some 59 Fleer Three Stooges cards and some Elvis 56 cards and, you know, not full sets or anything, but, you know, just a few things that I like. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I have a few, too. I have uh, uh, a complete set of Gomer Pyle. There you go. That's, you know, that's one of the ones that I, I, I got over the years and uh, a few other ones. Yeah, but... actually, yeah I actually I have a, a um, oh, geez, it just was in and out of my head. Ernest Borgnine. Uh, Mikhail's Navy. Uh, Mikhail's Navy set, and actually, I he was out here, and uh, I've been to his house a few times for for signings for the trading cards. And the last time I went over, I said, you know, I got this set of cards. Would you mind signing some cards? And he says, no, this is great old stuff, no problem. And he signed, you know, like twenty five or thirty of the cards from the set for me. Wow, that's great. You know, and to me, it's not the value. You know, everybody is, is hung up with, with pricing of things and what things are worth and all. And I'm like, you know what? I had this because I liked it. Now I met the guy. I got him signed. So they're mine. Now they go in my collection and they sit in my house and I look at them once in a while and just laugh because I was there. I remember when he signed them and we were joking and laughing. And yeah. Well, Scott, I want to finish up with two final questions. Okay. The first one is, what is your favorite TV show of all time that you enjoy watching? Or a couple of them. Ooh, boy, this is this is going to be a really good one. Okay, All in the Family, uh-huh. the Muppet Show, yeah, the Gong Show, Gong Show, yeah, Chuck Barris, and Amos and Andy. Oh wow, that's a, that's an older one. You weren't even born when that one was on. <laughs> no, but I was exposed. I was exposed to it at a young age, and you know, I mean, the, the racism card and all that. And I'm like, listen, it's no different than Archie Bunker. Right, yeah. You know, you know, in there, of course, it's, you know, it's a, you know, African-American show, black show, whatever you want to call it. And it's 
the thing is, there's lawyers, there's doctors, there's attorneys, and they're all, you know, not white. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that the Kingfish is a scammer and an art, a scam artist, well, they got that on white shows, too. It's like, come on. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, for those, you know, people who, who hear this and they've never seen Amazon, and you can go to YouTube and you can type it in, and the stuff that they did was absolutely hilarious. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's one of the other shows. Of course, Seinfeld, too, and Entourage, now that it's over, I'm sad. What about movies? What are your favorite movies of all time? Favorite movies of all time? Well, let's see. Pride of the Yankees. Ah, yes. Um, the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. The Fish That Saved Pittsburgh with Julia Serving, the yeah. basketball movie that yeah. 12 people saw, including me. <laughs> I know which one you mean. <laughs> Um, oh, jeez. I mean, like, Galaxy Quest. Ah, yes. I yeah. just, I love Galaxy Quest because it's sort of like what we're going through with Christmas Story. It's that, you know, they did something 17 years ago. Now they're signing autographs at shows, and, and they're known as has-beens, but people love them. Mm-hmm. You know, so I kind of look at life in a, in a very kind of strange way. But, but that actually you know, is, that, a, that is a good movie, though. It, it really is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um... Oh, geez. I mean, real estate, there's a laundry list of stuff. I'm Blazing Saddles. Any Mel Brooks, you know, Blazing Saddles, History of the World. Airplane, mm-hmm. one of my all-time, all-time, all-time favorite comedies. If it's on, I'm watching it. I don't care. Um, you know, Blazing Saddles the same way. Um, you know, Young Frankenstein. I mean, you go on and on. But, uh, you know, and of course, there's uh, the Jolson story. Mm-hmm. Yep. And Jolson sings again with Larry Parks. I was a big musical nut back when I was a kid, so I've loved it my whole life, and got a chance to meet his uh, his, his his wife before she passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, jeez. I mean, you know, yeah, I think that's a, that's a fairly decent list, you know. Yeah. Music-wise, Elvis Presley, Frank Sinatra, you know, and uh, Barry Manilow, Neil Diamond, Streisand. Yeah. You know, I'm sort of an, an, on the throwback for my age. Right, yeah. And it's funny you mentioned Airplane, because that, that is one movie that, when they have the scene of the disco, at the disco, I laugh so hard I cry during that scene. <laughs> it's the total spoof on Saturday Night Fever. Right, yes, yeah. You know, whereas, I, I know that we don't have much time left, but um, oh, yeah. the uh, one of the big reasons I got the toy was because of Airplane. Really? What, what, what? Long story short, when I did my screen test, Richard Pryor was not available to come there. Mm-hmm. I was very disappointed. I didn't think if I don't get the movie, I'm not going to meet him. Another actor stepped in. It was one of the two jive guys from Airplane. Uh-huh, okay. And I knew I knew all of it. <laughs> you, you know, shit, man, bubbling into the bone, checking me up, <laughs> up tight me. I knew it all. <laughs> you know, some say I won't say British. Yeah, I get the same old, same old. I could do the whole thing. So they saw that... I was a loose cannon mm-hmm. that I could roll with the punches and just go go crazy, which 95% of what I did in the film is fun, and that little 5% I have to be sort of subdued. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they let me run, and that's, I, that's one of the big reasons why I got it, because huh. I knew the jive talk from the airplane and could go crazy. <laughs> It's funny how certain things get you apart. Yeah, I mean, they, uh, when I got the movie, they let us actually watch the screen test. They actually played the screen test for me, and it was myself and Henry Thomas who yeah. did E.T. Yeah, E.T., yeah. And it was totally night and day. He was very subdued, very, you know, like the Al Pacino of the kids. That's what we used to call him, you know. <laughs> Just very, he, he was more facially expression 
and and quiet, and, and that's not what they wanted. They wanted a loose cannon. Yeah. Huh. And they got me. Jeez. Well, it, it, it worked out, that's for sure. <laughs> Listen, uh, you know, I could I give could I give up either experience for anything in the world? No. You know, I sort of ask people, I have my own kind of things the way I interview people, and I ask them, if you had one thing that you could give up between A and B, you know, Barry Williams, would you give up the Brady Bunch to do something else? They never can decide. So I ask myself the same question. Yeah. Would I give up Christmas Story to do the toy or vice versa? And the answer is no, because they had different results and different impacts on my life. Right, yeah. You know, doing Christmas Story, I'm part of Americana. I'm on a Monopoly board. I'm on a lunchbox, you know, action figure, all that kind of fun stuff. Yeah, and this time but of year, you're on TV no, <laughs> continuously. And, of course, and there's no amount of money that you can pay for that. Then you've got the toy with Gleason and Pryor, and because I did that, I became friendly with a lot of athletes. Again, I'm a sports junkie mm-hmm. uh, because they loved Pryor or Gleason. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, so calling, you know, Mark McGuire and Barry Bonds and Cecil Fielder in the day and Hulk Hogan and... The, you know, the laundry list of guys in sports that I was I'm friends with because I did the toy. Yeah. So I couldn't give up either one, and you know the memories I have, thank goodness, are forever. Well, Scott, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. This has been fascinating, hearing all the stories and everything, and I appreciate you doing it at this time of year, which is a very busy time for everybody, but uh, I thank you very much. Well, you're welcome. I mean, you know, beside the traveling, I'm, I'm at my dad's shop, baseball cards and movie collectibles in Westlake, uh, Westlake. Excuse me, Woodland Hills, California, mm-hmm. right on Ventura Boulevard, and uh, I'm, at, I'm at the shop, or I'm traveling, doing signings, or going to New York for the view, stuff like that. Yeah, is there a website that people can connect to? You know, uh, to see uh, the sports content? Movie, movieandsports.com. Movieandsports.com. Okay, well, we, we'll put a link on our site when we put. put Terrific. Put All right. Well, thank you, Scott. You got it. Everybody have a happy, healthy, and wonderful rest of the holidays and Christmas and New Year's and Hanukkah and all those things. And I want to thank uh, Scott Schwartz so much for taking the time to talk to us. Uh, last year we were going to have Scott on the show, but uh, something you know didn't mix up right, and we didn't get a chance to to get uh, get him on the show. But uh, I saw him again er, earlier this year, and I talked with him. And I said, "Hey, Scott." I think we could arrange it this time and uh, have you on the show around Christmas time. And uh, he graciously accepted, and uh, it's a busy time of year, but I really appreciate him taking the time to talk to us. A lot of fun having him on the show. And uh, we want to thank all of you for listening to On Screen and Beyond every day, or if you're brand new, I hope you will continue to listen. We have over uh, almost 200. We're getting up there. We're 193 episodes. I'm sure there's somebody out of the past or out of the new shows you like or new movies that you like that we have had it as a guest that you would love to hear talk f- about their careers and everything. And uh, so go back in our archives, our reruns, and see who's there. And I'm sure you're going to have uh, just fun while you're you know driving uh, to work or whatever. Whenever you listen to On Screen and Beyond, uh, I'm sure there's somebody there that you'll enjoy listening to. We've had some really classic people. And we've had some new actors and, and uh, singers and, and everything just writers and and it's just amazing to listen to these people and we appreciate you taking the time to listen to them and if you uh, have a chance if you're listening on itunes go ahead and uh, leave us a review out there it's um, helps us get out to more people and people know about us we appreciate that if you want to send me an email feedback at on screen and beyond is the place to send it and i will personally 
uh, read it, and I will also uh, try to reply to you if you have a question or something. But uh, just do that at feedback at onscreenorbeyond.com. And uh, if you if you are uh, you know going to do some shopping at any time, doesn't matter if it's during the holiday seasons or whatever, go to onscreenandbeyond.com and check out our advertisers, and it helps support uh, the show. So uh, we appreciate if you do that. And that is about it. And I want to wish everybody a very happy holidays, a very merry Christmas. Uh, no matter what you you celebrate, uh, or if you don't, whatever. But uh, we appreciate you, and uh, we really enjoy having you here and sending us emails and everything. I uh, hope you have a great year coming up, and we're going to have some more great guests coming your way. And I've been uh, you know, getting arrangements, and this is a very difficult time of year to do that, but we've been trying to get people arranged, and uh, it's, uh, we're, we're, you know, we've got some lined up, and we've got some uh, people that uh, we are really trying to get, and we're hoping that they will... Uh, accept us and uh, we uh, want to bring you the just the, the best people that you can listen to and have a good time listening to so that is about it that's a wrap for another episode of on screen and beyond and until next week when we once again take you on screen and beyond i'm brian zimrak have a merry christmas take care <laughs>